You're listening to the Sunday podcast from LifePoint Church in Santan Valley, Arizona. We hope you're encouraged by today's message. For more information, visit us online at lifepointaz.com. I want to be honest, at the beginning of the fasting and praying series, Pastor Nathan had a vision that you would actually hear from different people about experiences with fasting and praying and everything is wrapped up in that. So I'm going to introduce you to a wise guy, in all senses of the word, um, <laughs> who has been uh, uh, a guy that I've gone to for advice and help, and he is a pastor to pastors by any definition, So, and he's also Nathan's dad. Um, so uh, introducing uh, Jim Bentley. Welcome. Thank you. Thank you. Good morning, Life Point. Good morning. I got some good mornings. Good morning, Life Point. Good morning. Ah, we're awake. Good things are happening at Life Point, and I don't mean that in a cliche kind of way. They really are. Things are happening. Our pastors went and sought God. He directed them to a time of prayer and fasting, and we're seeing fruit of that. I mean, things are actually happening because of it. It's incredible. People coming in saying, I'm not even sure why I'm here today. Uh, one, one person said, uh, I, 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 I'm here, I came forward, I don't really know why. I was going to walk out as soon as the music started, but I'm here, and I need God in my life. Just shows up. Another one, we, we prayed, the prayer group, Last week, somebody, uh, a member's son, wound up in jail, and we rejoice. If you know how life works and how people work, how God works, the judicial system, uh, sometimes it's the best thing that can happen to someone, wind up in jail. And so we just prayed that God would supernaturally come in and wrap that person in his love, that he would speak to them, he would use that time to just reveal himself and pull that young man out. <laughs> and I got an email Thursday, I think. He did just that. He said, I don't know what it was. I was just sitting in here, and all of a sudden I felt God's presence. And I felt God wrap around me, and I felt his love. You get right with God. Put everything out of your life that's not of him. Say, God, take it, take it, make me clean, make me clean, Lord. And start seeing this Christian life happen. Turn in your Bibles to Isaiah chapter 30. I want to remind you, uh, we have two opportunities actually for prayer this week. Uh, last Wednesday, we had a day of uh, prayer, prayer and fasting. There will also be a day this coming Wednesday. You are welcome to come to church anytime from 10 to 4, 10 a.m. to 4 p.m., anytime Wednesday. Really nice environment. They have a little music going, and you come in and just spend some time with the Lord. Lift up the church, lift up your life, anything you're burdened on. Pray for revival. Continue to pray that God continues to do this in our valley. You know, our our churches even getting information from other churches in the neighborhood the, so that we can begin praying for their pastors and elders. What? We, we, want, we want God to bless? Yes, yes. We're all together in this. Bless them, Lord. And I, I heard that we were doing that, and I thought, 
man, this church, they, uh, God's working. He's changing lives. They've got services for no matter when you wake up. <laughs> they, they let me preach. I'm, I'm going to keep coming here. This is awesome. <laughs> so uh, that's Wednesday, 10 to 4, and also then Friday evening. Uh, Isaiah 30, 15, and 18, and I'll tell you more about the context of this. It's beautiful. This is what the Sovereign Lord, the Holy One of Israel, says. Only in returning to me and resting in me will you be saved. In quietness and confidence is your strength. But you would have none of it. So the Lord must wait for you to come to him. So he can show you his love and compassion. For the Lord is a faithful God. And blessed are those who wait for his help. Lord Jesus, we just ask you to bless this, your word today. I ask that your spirit work in each heart. That point, that, that block that's there that's keeping the fullness of what you have. Lord, shine a light on it. Show us what we have to do to get it out of the way so that your power and the life and the healing and the relationships and the, the material needs and the healings can take place. Let us be clean before you, Lord. Thank you so much for this opportunity. In Jesus' precious name, amen. So the context of this verse in Isaiah, Isaiah is a prophet, and he wrote his prophecies, but it happened during a time in history, and that time is recorded in 2 Kings. Actually, it's verse 18 and 19. That's not on anything. I'm hoping you'll make a note of it if you're a note taker, and you'll go read the story. And I read from a lot of different Bible English translations, uh, trying to get, you know, so you get the full view of how they meant this. The language, the Hebrew language was so different from ours. Trying to translate anything from the Middle East into English is a real trick. And I happened upon this one translation. It's NLT, uh, New Living Translation. It's an actual translation. They've done very studiously. It's, it's good, uh, accurate, not trying to promote some particular oddball faith or anything. But it, it almost sounds very much conversational, the way we'd be telling a story today. And I encourage you to go read this story in Second Kings 18 and 19. In that translation, you can just type it up in online and, and pull it up. You can download the Bibles. Uh, most, uh, you can download free Bibles on your phone or your Kindle or your iPad or whatever you like. There's all kinds of great resources. But hearing them go back and forth in this story, it's a political story, it sounds just like, well, Washington, D.C. right now. <laughs> and the, 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 Rhetoric that goes back and forth from the left to the right. and It's, it's funny to hear that going on back then in even uh, more spectacular ways. But the setting is that uh, Jerusalem, where a righteous king, King Hezekiah of Israel, has been put under siege. The Assyrian armies gathered around him, and he's in dire straits. He's in bad, bad position here. Uh, the Assyrians are extremely powerful. They go around. They have taken over the whole area. They take over a kingdom. They make them basically into their servants. It's a feudal kingdom, so they let you be a little puppet king, but you're sending all your taxes 
to, to Assyria. So Sennacherib is his name, and his army is gathered around Jerusalem after wiping out 46 of their fortified cities. Not just like going into some little town and taking over. They're fortified. So he's overcome all of Israel's best defenses on all these cities, and now he's at the capital in Jerusalem, and he is taunting them. He is... is uh, just everything you can think of to humiliate and to terrify them, they have, uh, in response to that, <clears throat> excuse me, they have, uh, Hezekiah is a godly king. When he came in, he got rid of the high places. The high places were, were these false gods. They would set up a little, you know, monument pile stones and build little buildings and things, the high places, to worship these foreign gods. And it was just a way of showing respect for other people's religions, that kind of nonsense. And Hezekiah came in and said, no, we will only honor the Holy One of Israel. Take all that down. And he had it all torn down. That was one of the things that a good king would do, is come in and set it upright to worship only Yahweh. And uh, even though he was child of God, he was using everything at his physical means to try to protect themselves, and recognizing that they'd taken all their chariots, they had stolen and killed horses and men, he said, we don't have, we can't win this without chariots, and so he sent down to, to Egypt, the Egypt that God had delivered Israel from, and he's sending down to Egypt, can you help us, can we, can we borrow, you know, couple thousand chariots and some horses. And uh, this, this king, Sennacherib, the Assyrian king, hears about it and laughs and says, they are nothing. You know, we could eat them for lunch. And you're asking them for help? And just mocks him into oblivion. And so Hezekiah says, you know what, we'll just pay his tax and get rid of him. And he goes to the temple and he pulls out all the gold, strips the silver off things that it's inlaid around, and piles it onto carts and sends it out to him. He was desperate. And Sennacherib says, yeah, okay, we'll take that. Just put that right back over there. Yeah. Okay, no, you're not off the hook. You're still going to become our servant. We'll take your money. We took all your gold from your temple. That's fine but you are going to bow down to me, and you are going to serve me. <clears throat> and then he wrote out a letter, and they, he sent, Sennacherib sent uh, servants to go to the gate, and he goes right up to the wall, and <clears throat> King Hezekiah sends uh, somebody out there to meet him, and he starts telling him in Hebrew, he's speaking their language, saying, look, the reason that your God is not protecting you is you tore down all of his high places. He had all these high places for you to worship him, and you tore him down. That's why he's doing this. He has appointed me. In fact, he told me to come take you over. I'm here from him to punish you. And they said, look, don't talk to us in Hebrew. Talk to us in, I think, Aramaic. Uh, because they really didn't want everybody that's on the wall to defend Israel to hear this. And he said, oh, no, we're going to talk to you in Hebrew. We want everybody to know 
why you're in the trouble you are, how you've forsaken your God, and how your God isn't powerful enough to save you, even if you had not forsaken him. That's what he's saying. It's all lies, all lies. So nothing new in what we're seeing <laughs> in Washington these days. Been lying about each other forever. Uh, and he puts this in a letter, and he sends the letter to King Hezekiah. And finally, King Hezekiah takes the letter, and he goes to the temple, and he lays the, temp- the letter before God, says, God, you see what this says? And he goes prostrate, flat on his face, and says, oh, God, help me. And you know what God said? Well, up here in verse 15, it says, this is what the sovereign Lord, the Holy One of Israel, says, only in returning to me and resting in me, not running around, ripping all the gold out of the temple, sending down to Egypt, coming to me first, resting in me, in this quietness and confidence is your strength. But they wouldn't have any of it. You wouldn't have any of it. You went down to Egypt. You stripped my temple of the gold and silver. So God just rains down wrath on him, right? What's it say in verse 18 there? So the Lord must wait for you to come to him so he can show his love and compassion. For the Lord is faithful to his children. Blessed are those who wait for his help. God, if anybody, you know, you get, you get righteous, a little righteous indignation. If anybody had a right to have a little righteous indignation, it would be God. My wife and I got gas at Costco the other day. <laughs> and guys, we, we get our gas and the guy's parked in front of us and we go to pull around him and he starts backing up. And so she does a little toot toot, hi, we're here. And when we drive by him, we wave, hi, we're here. He gives us the Hawaiian salute. <laughs> and I'm like, what? what why, why did you do that? I mean, we were just like, we we're keeping you from backing into us, saving us both a lot of headache. And then when we pull up around him, he gets in the car, guns it, and punches it, and comes aiming right at my door. Pulls right up in front. This is in Costco parking lot. It's all on camera. What are you doing? Well, needless to say, we had a little righteous indignation. I wondered if it was an appropriate time to get out of the car and show him what's what. Fortunately, <laughs> I don't have what's what anymore. <laughs> Not as good as I once was, and I wasn't that good then. So <laughs> uh, we, we, we drive on away, let him have his little fit, talk about it. But talk about feeling a little righteous indignation. If anybody could feel it, it's God. And yet, what is God's response? Okay, you're not going to come. I'll wait for you to come so I can show my love and compassion. Wow. Wow. I knew right away we ought to be praying for that guy. Took me a little while to get in a prayerful mood after he did that. <laughs> Seeing that grill get bigger and bigger in the window there. Hmm. God was just waiting to deliver them. Oh my goodness, what, what could have they done earlier? Maybe after eight or ten of the fortified cities had fallen. They wait all the way until Jerusalem's ready to fall. God says, I was just waiting to pour out my love and my deliverance for you. Don't do anything. Don't, no, don't. Go to bed. Get a good night's rest. I'm going to take care of this. And what happens overnight? God sends an angel of death 
into the camp of the Assyrians. And when you picture camp, maybe you're thinking 10,000, 15,000. There were hundreds of thousands gathered around them. I mean, they didn't, Jerusalem didn't stand a chance in the natural. God sends an angel of death, and overnight 185,000 men die. Just like that. God says it, bang, it happens. What do you think Sennacherib thought when he woke up in the morning? Well, guys, let's pack up. Head on back to Nineveh here. Yeah, he, he packed it and left. Can you imagine all that buildup? I mean, that many hundreds of thousands of people don't show up outside overnight. That had been building for who knows how long, months, months, and it's gone, just like that. <coughs> Excuse me. And to put a fine point on it, when God does it, he does it right. You don't, you don't want this halfway job done in your own flesh. To put a fine point on it, Sennacherib goes home and worships his god, Nisroch. You know, the god Nisroch. Not heard of him? <laughs> well, uh, he goes home to worship him, and his own sons kill him by the sword while he's in the temple worshiping Nisroch. God doesn't mess around. When he does it, he does it. He does it with power and authority that leaves us shaken in our boots. That power was available in my life? Yeah, I want that. Yes, please. I'll take it. So how do you activate that power in your life? Repentance. When I used to hear the word repentance, I would kind of uh, liken it to, well, like when I heard the word prayer and fasting. How many of you get excited when you hear prayer and fasting? Prayer and fasting, yes! Doing without food! But you have uh, potluck and everybody shows up. <laughs> when I was a kid, we worked on a bus ministry and we couldn't get adults to help with the bus ministry. All the kids were doing it, and a handful of adults. We said, we'll have a potluck Saturday morning. And on Saturday mornings, we would go out and see the kids and say, hey, bring your friends and all that kind of thing. So we said, we'll have a potluck. And man, it was packed. Fellowship Hall was packed. And by the time they was done eating, it was the same 10 people <laughs> to go out and see the kids. I didn't get excited about prayer and fasting. And when you hear repentance, you might hear the same way. But I want you to come to see it different. I want you to come to see repentance like... The doctor says, you've got a cancerous growth that's going to kill you, but the good news is we can take it out. We can take it out. End of game. No more cancer. You're going to be healed. Or more graphic, and yes, I want this to be disgusting, so I'm going to say you have a pus-filled abscess on your arm, and it's killing you. And the doctor says, we can clean that out. Well, antibiotic, you'll be well. All the infection will be gone. When God says, you've got a little root of bitterness in your heart. When God says, should you be looking at that on the internet? When you say, I am done trying to fix this relationship, I'm out. Divorce is the answer. 
get myself a quiet little place and I'll have a peaceful life again. I want you to come to see sin as that pus-filled abscess. It's a lie. It's not pleasure. The problem with, with, with believers today, we settle for the pleasures of sin. Even as a believer, here's Hezekiah sending down to Egypt. We settle for the pleasures of sin, and God's like, no, 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 I want to give you much, much, much more pleasure than that. Much more pleasure. You want a pleasure of a one-night stand, and God has a rich, growing relationship, marriage, a picture of his love for us that he wants. And we're settling for something far below that. Far below that. God has... There's a pastor, John Piper, that wrote a book called Christian Hedonist. If you know what a hedonist, there's somebody who lives for pleasure. He goes, yes, let's live for pleasure. Ultimate pleasures exist in the presence of God. When God is in your heart, when you are following him, when you have set aside the things, when you've said, God, take it all, I can't do it. I can't get holy and clean and pure, but you can. You can make me that way. You can make me walk in joy. You can make me experience joy so that it comes to the point when a trial comes in your life, you actually count it joy because you know God's going to do something. You get horrible news about your car, and you're like, wow, is the Lord going to do this? He's going to do it. He's going to do it. That's possible. That life exists. You can live that life. How do you get there? Repentance. It's a wonderful thing. You're going this way, turn around, go that way. Can you do it yourself? Nope. He says, in quietness and confidence is your strength. Be still and see that I'm God. So I wanted to give you some real quick examples of repentance, practical things. The first one, and I, forgive me, all my friends and family and the people in the other services that have heard this story so many times, but it was so powerful and so pivotal in my life, I wanted to share it. Uh, I was young in my career. I had made over-promised something to give to a, a, a customer that was going to take an all-day job. I thought, oh, I'll knock it out in an hour or two. And I went to my boss and said, hey, I promised this, they got to have it today. And he said, there's no way that can't happen. It would take somebody doing it all themselves all day long to get it. And the only way it can happen is if you want to do that yourself. And I, like, you know, you made your promise. I've got to save face, a little pride there. Okay, I'll do it. So I started working on this project, and I literally worked on it all day. It was Friday. I was the kind of guy that really liked to get off right on time, didn't want to do any overtime, which was ironic because I did so much overtime over my life. But he, he would not help. And I'd run into a snag, and he'd say, well, you can do this and this but it's all on you. He would not help me. He said, you made this promise. You've got to fulfill it. We get down to the end of the day. The customer didn't have time to pick it up because it wasn't ready yet. So they go out to their event in Tempe. I'm in West Phoenix. That was a 40-minute ride on a good day. Uh, rush hour on Friday, it was an hour and a half. I wasn't going to get paid for driving it out there, and I had to do it on my own gas. I was angry. I was angry. By the time I got that job done and put it in my car, figured out where this place was and headed out to Tempe, I was literally white-knuckled on the steering wheel, angry. I'm driving. He could have helped me. He could have done this. He could have, and I was all angry. Of course, you're blaming somebody else when you're like that. I had a right to be helped. I had a right to help this, and usually when you're angry, you've had a right violated. 
It's a callback. You feel that anger. God's saying, hey, look at me. Look to me. So I recognize that I'm in a horrible spiritual condition there. I am murderously mad at my boss. And I'm driving out there. And I'm like, God, I don't even know how. I don't even want to not be angry. I deserve to be angry. What can help me? And he said, sing me a praise song. And I could not think of one. We had all this great Maranatha music back then in the early 80s. And uh, I couldn't think of a single praise song. But having grown up 19 years in a Baptist church, I had doxology. <laughs> Have you heard? Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise him, all creatures here below. Praise him above, ye heavenly hosts. Praise Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. Never thought about what it meant. It was just something we said at the end of the service. And I was so angry. Only song in my mind. Didn't even recognize it as a praise song. And I got my knuckles on there, and so I'm saying, Praise God from whom all bless. I literally was. Not an exaggeration. I was forcing the words out of clenched teeth. By the time I got to the end of it, I was actually getting a little melody in there. By the time I got to Tempe, I'd kept coming up with another song, finally got into the Maranatha song. And uh, I was full of joy. I was zinging. I went in there and delivered, and they go, Oh, you delivered it. Thank you so much. And you're even all pleasant about it. And I'm like, Yeah. <laughs> it's a miracle. <laughs> I'll tell you that. So the, the point of the story is praise will deliver you. It's a, I read a book after that called Miracle in Your Mouth. It works. God is just looking. His eyes are going to and fro throughout the earth that he can show himself strong to someone whose heart is open, full, perfect towards him. Doesn't mean you're perfect. It's you're saying, help me. Was I perfect, white-knuckled, angry, singing a song through gritted teeth? Wouldn't you think he would just zap you? No. He's waiting so he can show his love and compassion. Just waiting for you to repent. Just the second you make an effort that way, he's just waiting like, yes, you may have it. Lord, can I have? Yes, I've got it right here for you. He's just waiting to give it to you. Another one, uh, another example of repentance was a pastor that I had something against many years and didn't think too much about it. He had really wronged me. I don't think he ever saw it that way, but he had. And... Uh, he was going to be in town, and he sent me a note, and I would blow it off. And a few months later, send me another note. I went answering, and uh, here last weekend, I got an email. He had lost somebody, died in his life, and I got the email. I saw him. I had the same. <laughs> yet, and God said, you're bitter. Is that bitterness? Is that just a little bit of bitterness? Your heart's not open to it? He, he just lost, lost a loved one. Do you have compassion? I said, oh, God. See, that's the response. When God shows it, you don't like, well, no, he, he wronged me. I didn't do anything. No, just get away from that. It's a pus-filled pocket. Say, God, deliver me. Can you make me love this man that hurt me? Right away. I mean, instantly, joy just starts flooding me. And I send back a response to him of compassion and love and kindness. That's instant. God just does it. Some things when you repent, it may take longer, but he gives you the joy quick. Someone shared that uh, 
they were in the service and they said, you want to come forward? And a lot of people, I've felt that I've been there many, many times. Going, God's not calling me forward. What do I need to go forward? I mean, what would I do? I'd go up, I'd go forward, I'd say, I don't have the joy of the Lord. That's stupid, I'm not going forward. That's pride. That hard feeling, boy, learn to recognize that. Learn to recognize that when that hard feeling comes up. Somebody says something to you and you're like, oh, I'm not going to. See it right away and say, God, help. Help me. He does. So, a lot of people sitting there like that. One guy says, well, I want to be obedient to the Lord, though. I'll go. Gets up, takes one step out, and joy fills his heart. Just joy. Why? Because he went forward? No, because he said, Lord, yes, you, you brought a point in my heart, a, a point of hardness, a point of loss, a point of rebellion, a, a spirit of anything not of God. And they physically took a step out of the aisle to come up and just confess to someone. He says, confess your sins to one another. We all want to be healed. And so, we, you know, pray that you get healed. The Bible says, confess your sins one to another and pray for one another that you might be healed. I guarantee you, he set you free from sin. Acts three nineteen and 20 as the, the worship team comes forward, says, now repent of your sins and turn to God so that your sins may be wiped away. It isn't theoretical. It's like changing your heart. It's like going from white-knuckle angry to full of praise and joy. So they may be wiped away. Then times of refreshment, there it is again, refreshment will come from the presence of the Lord. We had this list of things. Do you remember two weeks ago, we came forward and we put things that we need to surrender to God in, the, uh, in that little urn that was up here? They categorized them. Pastor Nathan sat down and put them and said, well, these are time-related. Time was number one. Things that we need to surrender to the Lord. Maybe it's time we're wasting. Maybe it's time we're spending on things that are not good. Maybe it's just the fact that we get outrageously stressed out when we shove so much into our time that we don't have time for everything. I guarantee you, you have enough time today and tomorrow and every other day to do everything God has given you. He's given you 70, 80, 90 years just to find him and return to him. You got plenty of time to do things he wants you to do. Time and then all these others things we have are pretty common mine was fear number three wake up in the morning I've got physical challenges that I deal with blindness and energy and chronic fatigue and autoimmune and all this other stuff and I wake up in the morning and I start thinking all the stuff I gotta do I can't how am I gonna do it well I'll try to fear fear For not even out of bed eyes not even open and God laid on our heart, Debbie and I, wake up in the morning, if possible, before you open your eyes. This is the day the Lord has made. I will rejoice, and I will be glad in it. I will. Boy, that's victory right there. Debbie shared she woke up this morning. Fear. 
I, was, I, I got up extra early and was here. She woke up alone, managed to get the words out, sang it again, managed to get the melody out. That's victory, my friends. That's victory. And this is, this is the, how God will appropriate it to you. Up on the screen, they're going to begin showing comments people made on those. Last service. <laughs> uh, beautiful comments. Thank you, honey. And the praise team is going to sing, and I'm going to encourage you just take a step. Just take a step. See what the Lord will do. Right now, there's probably something you're struggling with. It's okay if the whole congregation came up front. We're going to pray briefly, and the prayer team's going to be up here. There'll be elders and pastors available. Just tell somebody, hey, this is my battle. Would you pray for me? Begin to walk in victory before you go out of here. Seriously. Lord Jesus, thank you for this opportunity. Thank you for your life. Thank you for immediate deliverance. Thank you for the tools to honor you. And thank you that you are a father just waiting, just waiting to pour out your life into us, to give us refreshment. Thank you that your yoke is easy, your burden is light. Thank you, Father. Bring folks forward here that will get set free of a burden that's on them today. In Jesus' precious name.
Lord. Thank you, Lord. As Jim was speaking the word this morning, I, uh, I have a question for you. Do you want to be the disciple of Jesus? to be a disciple of Jesus I want to see your hand up say that's me that's me that's me I want to be his disciple I want to tell you something about the disciple of Jesus the word that comes to you this morning says Jesus says follow me I will not follow you follow me now picture the 12 disciples They have an option where they win. Did they vote on it? Did they say, Jesus, you shouldn't put the mud in that guy's eye. You might offend him. How about when he stopped a funeral procession along the way and he dared to praise for the dead? Is that the ordinary or is that the extraordinary? Say what? It is. The Lord is saying to us this morning, I'm raising up for myself a generation that is extraordinary in the things of God. I'm raising up for myself a people that have no reserve in following me. I'm raising him up to be mighty men and women and warriors in our community because I will take back what the enemy has stolen from us in the name of Jesus. But I'm looking for the people who have unreservedly will follow me. That means, do I need to interpret it for you again? He's going to do things to you or in your midst that you have never seen before. He's going to do that. What is going to be your option? You can A, go someplace else where this is not going on. Or you can say, God, do the work in me. I want to be the extraordinary. Say it with me again. I want to be a disciple. I want to follow Jesus without reservation. I want to see the extraordinary again. And I believe you for it. In our area, in our family, God says, I will do the extraordinary. Raise that hand again. It is, it is very biblical, by the way. Lord, we stand in your presence this morning. We say, Lord, here we are. Train us to be a disciple. Train us to be a disciple. Say that, Lord. Lord, train me to be a disciple. I will follow you even if I do not understand where we're going. I'll follow you. I'll follow you. That name that is above every name. And may you surrender to the Lord as you heard in repentance this morning. What an excellent word for you and I. Because this generation will be a generation that will impact Santan Valley. That's the heart of this church. That's the heart of this ministry. This is no longer about us. It is about our community. It is about your neighbors. It is about your workplace. About those that don't know God. Going to see God in you. And our corporate prayer and our fasting will bring down the presence of the power of God as it is already doing so. I simply want to say to you this morning again, if there's any areas in your life that you have not surrendered, 
You already know where they are. You already know what that is. Do not let pride keep you from receiving what God has for you. Don't let the old nature win out because God says, I want to do the impossible in you. So it is, it's simply again, it's an invitation for you to come. If you're here this morning and you wandered into this place by the Spirit of God and you've never made a decision to follow Jesus as your Lord and His Savior, this is your day. This is your day to be saved. There's nothing more important than that. So don't leave but come and let one of these prayer people pray with you and tell you what happens, what wonderful benefits there are for you. And again, if you're here this morning and you know already God is working in your heart and lives, you know already that he wants you to surrender and come to know him and do things his way rather than your way. I invited you again to come forward. There's something when you step out of the seat and you make your way to the alley. There's something that takes place in your life and it's called repentance and surrender. Let's do it.